podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Love Tennis Podcast with me, James Gray of inews.co.uk and the iNewspaper. As always, I'm joined by our resident coach, Calvin Beton, and our resident writer, George Belshaw. Uh, we've got loads to talk about this week. We are speaking on Sunday evening, just after all the various finals in Queens, in Stuttgart, in Nottingham, in Schurtenbosch, and I'm sure a couple of others that I'm missing, and definitely more that I'm mispronouncing. Um, as always, if you want to get your name or your comments read out on the podcast, there's loads of ways you can do that. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, at LoveTennisPod. Uh, you can send us an email, uh, LoveTennisPod at gmail.com, or you can leave us a five-star review, which is exactly what Keiko has done this week. Uh, I hate to read it out, but I have to. That's my rule. George is very funny. Love this podcast. All three of them are a f- <laughs> fan of fun, but George really makes me laugh. Um, I, I had a, an in-person review during the French Open, which said, no, I really enjoy it. You know, Calvin shooting from the hip and George trying to be funny, which was my uh, my favourite <laughs> comment on that. So just to take Probably a more accurate reflection, isn't it? Um, we've also had a one-star review. I don't usually read them out, but, you know, I thought I'd read it out because people might laugh. Um, easily the most anti-Nadal podcast you will ever hear. Don't dream of listening to it if you're a Nadal fan. I'd love to hear from some Nadal fans who think, more Nadal fans, who think that we've been um, aggressively anti-Nadal. I... I happen to think he's potentially the best player of all time. But, you I, I know, feel that makes me like, anti-Nadal. Yeah, I feel like we've spoken in pretty glowing terms about Nadal this year. I mean, he's literally unbelievable. I mean... Doing it, amazing things. Like, last week, we were kind of saying... I'm presuming this came after last week's episode. But, I mean, last week, we were literally saying, I cannot believe he's just won the French Open like that. That's yeah. that amazing an achievement. But, sorry, anyway. I'll be more glowing. That's probably my fault, to be fair. I can yeah, be yeah maybe we should be more praiseworthy of people at all times. Anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, but thanks very much for getting in touch, I suppose. Um, we've also had a couple of other emails. One from Elliot Wilson, uh, who has said that he doesn't have Apple Music or Spotify, so couldn't leave us a five-star review, although he says he did do one on his girlfriend's account so i thank you for that elliot um he says the banter's great between the three of you that's very kind i try not to read out the praise because it's just embarrassing um what was the one? Oh no i can't do this because he's criticizing another podcast says he doesn't like it quite so much as ours uh overall elliot thank you very much for getting in touch um most of this is quite embarrassingly lovely so um i will just say thanks for that and if you've got any other views on tennis feel free to send them in um one from laurie mckenzie as well says uh been really enjoying the grand slam podlets um that's true during our wimbledon we'll be doing a podlet every single day sometimes it'll just be me sometimes it'll be all three of us sometimes it'll be me and, and george or george and calvin um he says he really enjoys calvin's insights into the tennis tour and tactical analysis of matches as a tennis coach myself i always feel like i learn something new from how he talks about tennis i even found myself using his stat about stan Vavrinka's ratio of forehand to backhand winners in a coaching session yesterday uh, thanks to all of you for all your hard work on the podcast and making it such a great listen for us tennis fans. Um, I'm sorry if I missed your review or your comment on Twitter. I've been a little bit um, remiss with the mailbag uh, because it's been so busy lately, but I will hopefully be back on track uh, over the grass court season. And maybe that is where we're going to start today with the grass court season because Andy Murray was in a grass court final for the first time in six years since he won Wimbledon back in 2016. He was beaten by Matteo Berrettini in a pretty close three-set match. Um, it's uh, a lot of points for him to pick up in Stuttgart. It would have, of course, been 500. Um, had he 500? 250. Have I made that up? George? 250, I think. Yeah. He couldn't have been 500. The coverage was so poor. <laughs> um, but he will shoot up the rankings nevertheless. I think he is now into the top 50 and has a realistic chance of being seeded for Wimbledon. Um George, very encouraging to see Murray playing quite so well on grass. To quote you from earlier today, Murray is good. Yeah, I thought he played really well. Um, I, I've realised I left something off the order. Of <coughs> I just want to very briefly vent about as well. You sort of touched something there, but how ludicrously difficult was it to watch this week? I actually ended up finding it on Sky Bet. They were showing oh, the final today. I mean, so I believe it was shown on... Tennis Channel International with sub with a one-person commentary. 
which got a very poor review on Twitter. And I watched it on Tennis TV, which is obviously subscription nine ninety nine. Um, it wasn't even a very good quality stream, and there was no yeah. commentary on it. It was, it was pretty. I, pretty I just refuse to take on another subscription at this stage. I've just got well, too many sports subscriptions. I but, only do um, it because I expense it. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's quite funny. I'd seen all week people tweeting about there's a one week trial to watch this, and then realised that's but everywhere outside the UK. I was like, oh, I'm not being an idiot. I can't find this trial. Um, but yeah, anyway, Murray was really good. Um, obvious slight concern with kind of the, I think it was an ab injury in the end. I mean, he was, having, so he, he was having his other hip. Do you call it another hip or one hip? I couldn't decide whether, is the hip the same bone? Is it the left side <laughs> no, of his hip anyway? You have two hips. You, you have two George, separate hips. Are yeah. they not all Are you part getting of the confused pelvis? with the pelvis? No, the hip joint. Oh, it's, a, it's a ball and socket joint, isn't it? I I don't think I've ever considered that I've only got one hip. That that's yeah, insane. Yeah, I wasn't really sure. Anyway, I was no, just I am sure it, you're being a complete idiot. <laughs> I just wasn't sure if it was like a left side and a right side, but they were all actually connected the whole time. Anyway, I'm probably totally wrong. I mean, all bones um, are connected, George. It's kind of how it yeah, works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. My knees are very connected. Did, George, did you think they took Andy Murray's entire hip out? just had nothing like in the middle just, yeah okay <laughs> actually yeah <laughs> the more i've just said that out loud now the more ridiculous he had to regrow his entire ass after he had that double <laughs> hip yeah legs and everything. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be getting some one star reviews next week for absolutely terrible anatomical knowledge from me <laughs> Um, so, and again, terrible attempts to be funny. Um, but yeah, it was funny because they were like massaging the other hip, it seemed to be. And then I think he's come out and said it was an ab problem afterwards. Indeed, yeah. So he, he spoke on court, and I actually thought it was quite interesting that on court, he, you know, Matteo Berrettini is very gracious, and he mentioned that it wasn't the way he wanted to finish, and that, you know, he had obviously been a little bit injured. But uh, I thought it was interesting that he said, yeah, you just sort of, you know, you were clearly hurt. And then Murray stood up and said, well, yeah, like, he didn't really talk about it. He sort of said, I'm actually feeling pretty optimistic about the next couple of weeks. And, you know, as long as my body holds up, it'll be fine. And then, yeah, in press afterwards, um, he said that it's an ab injury. He's not really felt it before. And then, um, yeah, he'll just have to get it checked out. It was interesting that he said to his box during the match, he said, from the baseline, it's fine. But, like, I can't, I can't serve. Um, and then he said that's what happens with these big breaks. So obviously there was a bit of a break after the second set because I think Berrettini went off court and I wondered whether he just stiffened up a bit. Um, I've just quickly looked at a site called Five Cool Facts About Hip Bones and actually each hip bone is made up of three bones. So it's even so you're more, even more wrong? In parts, even more wrong. Yeah, there are three bones in the hip apparently even though it looks like one big bone. I would used. love to make you do a GCSE biology exam. I would be f- I, fascinated. I did. To see how I did A level biology, but wow. we didn't do much on hips. <laughs> right. <laughs> should, we, should we try and get back to tennis? Because you've actually derailed us really quickly there. Um, Andy Murray, incidentally, uh, he didn't just play one match in Stuttgart. Of course, he played five. Uh, he beat Christian O'Connell, Alexander Bublik, Stefano Tsitsipas, most significantly. That is his first win against a top five player since the ATP World Tour Finals in 2016. And, I mean, I don't know. We've talked much about Stefan Tsitsipas on grass. I think it's a blooming good win. Backs up my theory, Chilich is a bigger favourite for Wimbledon than Tsitsipas. Oh, you like really do just get a bee in your body and keep buzzing. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, uh, he beat Kyrgios in the semi-finals as well, I should have Yeah, said. it's a good result. I mean, he's always kind of had Kyrgios's number. Obviously, I think we'll talk about that a little bit later, but... You know, something unsavory happened in that match, and that seemed to heavily impact Kyrgios. But it was a really good tight first set. Um, but yeah, look, it is a really good win over Zizipas. Murray, Murray is still absolutely brilliant on grass. You know, we've spoken about the movement and how difficult it is. You know, if Murray's body would hold up. There's no reason he couldn't go really deep in Wimbledon and kind of mix it with this kind of weakened field. I don't think. Um, but it's just, just worry. He's not going to be able to stand up against back-to-back best-of-five matches. And, you know, we've seen again today, this was a tough three-hour match in Berrettini, and you'd think the grass would probably be the best surface in terms of a lot of the matches are a little bit quicker, but he has just such a tendency to make matches so long and ridiculously long and turn into big overdrawn things that it's going to be really, really a big challenge for him to keep going. But, you know, I 
I think we're see- what we're seeing is a lot of vindication about his logic to kind of really go for Wimbledon because yeah. you can just see he he really is just a cat above everyone on grass. Really, you know, I think he's an absolute grass court specialist in many ways, despite being amazing everywhere else. He just has such a high level on it. Well, he's also just played a lot more than anyone else. You know, I, I was talking to Cam Norrie earlier today because he was doing his pre-match um, media at Queen's. And I said, well, how much actually had you played on grass like before you came to Europe? He came over at uh, 15, is that right? And he said, well, none. I had never seen a grass court before, basically until I was 15, other than on TV. And then he didn't play any grass tennis in college, obviously, because there isn't any. So he basically played juniors and then none in college. So he's got so little experience on the surface. And he's a British number one. So when you take guys who come from countries where there are very even fewer grass courts, it's basically two tournaments a year sometimes. And so I think Murray's got, obviously he's got the game, but he's also had a massive advantage because he, he trained on clay for a bit and then he just went straight onto the grass. He's just had so much more time getting used to it. The guys might catch up when it comes to Wimbledon, but Calvin, you'd think just all of those different steps lead to him having a real edge on the field, at least for a bit. Yeah, um, I think this is one of his best tournaments since he's come back. Mm. Um, I think it's got it definitely holds more weight than when he made the final in Australia earlier mm. on in the year. Was it Sydney or yeah. Adelaide? Sydney. Sydney. Is that right? Yeah, I mean this he's he looked really good um, this week in the little bits that I saw and the win against Sitsipas and then Kyrgios on the grass. Although I didn't see it, but I'm led to believe it was standard Kyrgios meltdown. Um, I think, yeah, big, big wins. And, yeah, he's, it would really help him if he could get seeded. Hmm. Um, do we know if he's going to yet? So it's not certain. They're obviously based on the rankings the Monday before the tournament. So he's got one more week of points to pick up. Okay. Um, he's he, currently... He needs two wins, doesn't he, at Queen's? But so he has to meet Berrettini round two, possibly. He's 47 so. in the world. And I think the seeding cutoff is going to be 37. So he needs another... 85 points which I think would be two rounds um, yeah it's not going to be easy but yeah I think two wins would pretty much do it he could probably he, do with uh, do with a few people is he definitely going to play is he definitely going to play Queens as far as we know yes as of time of recording he is due to do pre-match media tomorrow and he is down to play Lorenzo Sonego in the first round on Tuesday so as far as anyone is aware he's going to play but I would have thought he'll go and have a scan on this ab problem and then find out. But my guess, God, it's tough, isn't it? Because the seeding would be so big. But like, if it, if he plays and it means he can't play at all, I guess the thing is, if he plays and wins two rounds, he's then got ten days, you know, and they'll give him a Tuesday start if he wants one at Wimbledon. So he's then got potentially, you know, best part of a two weeks almost to recover from what if it's if it's not torn or anything. And as we know, you can win an Australian Open with a torn ab muscle anyway. So, um, <laughs> I. My guess would be he plays. I don't know about you, Calvin. You, you look pensive. I I wouldn't be so certain. I think he probably will, but I, I don't think he will definitely play. Is Berrettini definitely playing? Well, that's a good question. I suppose the difference with him is that he's he's obviously had a hand injury, which he seems to be absolutely fine with. And I guess hand injuries is not muscular, yeah. right? Like it's not. Quite yeah, the same. I forgot it was a hand injury because he had the. The problem he was having repeatedly last year was that ab injury, wasn't yeah. it? And it was, it was yeah. strange that he ended up being out for a period because of a completely different injury. Mm, yeah. the, the big issue Berrettini's got is the amount of points he's defending. And yeah, obviously yeah, going to lose at Wimbledon. Yeah. I, I don't think he'll be skipping anything. He, needs, yeah, yeah, he, true. he won Queens last year, so you know yeah. to lose 1,500 points in one go would uh, not be ideal. 1,700 yeah. points, actually. It's 12, 1,250 for the final, isn't it? So... Yeah, he oh, would Wimbledon. lose. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he yeah. would lose. Yeah. Or, I mean, that that would like probably drop him ten places in the world rankings, which obviously puts you into a different bracket. Means you're not going to get necessarily seeded at certain tournaments anymore. Yeah, would be quite significant for Berrettini. Seeded, but seedings at the U.S. Open are going to be all over the shop, aren't they? Oh yeah, Black it's going to be wild. I mean, <laughs> Djokovic is already down to number three as of Monday morning, which is just weird beyond belief. I mean, yeah. there is a very real possibility that like. Rafa Nadal could overtake Novak Djokovic in the world rankings, you know, before the US Open, which yeah. is, I mean, I guess it doesn't, it's not that weird because he has won two Grand Slams this year. But yeah, I was say, it's like, it's had a decent year, hasn't it? I know, but it, it, I don't, I don't think that 
I in my head, I don't think that Rafa Nadal should be a higher ranked player than Novak Djokovic at the moment. I don't really know. Why. We can't have Nadal negativity, James. You've heard the review. <laughs> Nadal deserves to be world number one and is the best player in the planet. That's all I'm saying right now. Uh, great. And but now you but now you're annoying fans of all the other 99 players in the top 100 <laughs> who have a legitimate claim. I don't know. You can't you can't win trying to pleasing people, George. That's not why we're here. We're not here to please people. We're here to. Well, I don't really know why we're here. Probably not the time for an existential crisis. Um, you mentioned Nick Kyrgios there, George. There, there was a, a sort of unsavoury incident. I'm, we haven't really had a full investigation into it. I don't really know. We we will never probably know what was said. The tournament released a statement saying you can't discriminate against players. It's unacceptable. And anyone you know found to be doing it, we kicked out. Kyrgios said that he was um, someone used a racial slur against him on court. Um, that they were telling him to shut up and play, and he didn't like that. It's difficult because if someone racially abuses you, like yeah, absolutely. Like, and it, what I was confused by was he said someone used a racial slur against me, and then he said the comment like someone called him a black sheep, which, which uh, this, this sort of feels a little bit like the guerrilla tactics Serena Williams territory, which I don't really understand. I, I don't it's know whether been he. Quite a lot. There's been quite a lot of stuff about the origins of the word black sheep, though, and I think actually it's kind of, yeah, not good. Basically, so right. I think it actually is quite heavily like. I didn't know that was like a, a racially um like a racially yeah. charged comment. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, okay. Well, you learned something. That's the thing. I think it's like a something that people use you know within kind of recent memory used to say quite often but i've i've read a couple of pieces around it, i think i think um and actually going back into its origins and stuff and it's yeah definitely pretty pretty not cool and racist i so. see okay interesting well every day is a school day i mean you know i'm not here to sit and say you 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 can't play the racism card i don't like that but um i did find it a bit odd but that probably makes a bit more sense now um that said like i appreciate that on this occasion nick curious had you know was quite within his rights to throw the toys out the pram for want of a better phrase it's it's also not beyond Nick Kyrgios's Ken to, to kind of lose concentration during a match I don't think that's unfair to say albeit that this time he had legitimate reason to do reason. so yeah, yeah it's kind of a weird situation to find yourself in I mean I suppose he did at least make the semi-finals and therefore Nick Kyrgios on grass is still a threat and like him or hate him I think we all agree that Nick Kyrgios playing well in the grass court season is pretty good for the game yeah I'm you know, we, we Calvin kind of mentioned the seedings for the US Open being messed up, but the fact Kyrgios is a potential first rounder for anyone is that's a nightmare draw. The first round of Wimbledon, you yeah. know, Ugo Umber was the unlucky one last year. Um, you know, I'm not saying I think Kyrgios can win the tournament, but he, he's played quite well this year, to be fair, and seemed fairly focused by the odd odd meltdown. Mm. <laughs> um, Calvin will probably roll his eyes at me saying that, but you definitely don't want to be playing in first three rounds at Wimbledon you know he's a serious serious grass court player and he's got so many weapons that work just so well on that surface well he's got two weapons that work quite well on that surface let's, <laughs> let's, let's, be, let's be quite frank <laughs> you know I, I and it's his first serve and second serve um, <laughs> which, which are often no I mean that's unfair he's also got a pretty handy he's format. got a great touch as well I mean he's I suppose so. I don't really think about Nick Kyrgios's touch because I think about his power. He's a game. super volleyer. I mean, he really is a lovely. Uh, he's he he's good. He has got good touch and he's got good mm. volleys. Um, but he also gets to play a lot of easy volleys because that that I always is what we always talk about. Like Alcaraz, Alcaraz is not a good volleyer, but he often gets to play some really easy volleys because he follows the ball. Like he he, he follows. I think the big technically shots. Nick's Nick's up there on the tour in terms of best feel around the net. Who's who's the best, Calvin? Best volleyer on tour. You say Murray, don't um, you, I was actually having this conversation yesterday with um, one of Britain's top three players. Um, <laughs> and figure out just on base of geography which one of that which one it was. <laughs> um, and um, that that person I was talking to is up there. Yeah. Um, I was say, did he say himself? No, I I was listing the players, and then he just commented on. Uh, what he thought, although he did say he, and this differed from my opinion. He thought Alcaraz um, was, but he did say, "I'll tell you what." What this person did say that, um, and we said that that Zverev has. I want. I said that Zverev. Has, I'll roll it out again. So roll it out every week. But Zverev has the worst volley in the top two hundred, <laughs> and he said he doesn't. He said he's got the second worst volleys in the top 200. <laughs> but the other player is also in the top ten. So do you think the top the 
who do you think he he says has got the worst volleys in the top two hundred? That's interesting. Um, Try to think who's who might have played to come to that opinion as well. I, I, mean, I wondered if Medvedev? it might be Berrettini or Medvedev. No, he said Medvedev. He's actually said Medvedev has got decent volleys and it, it works obsessively on his volleys as well. Mm. Apparently, Berrettini. Um, Rublev, Rublev. It's going to be yeah, Rublev. Rublev, it's Rublev, yeah. it's Rublev. And it's not one that stood out to me because I've not seen Rublev play many. He plays yeah, a lot I mean, of doubles though, Rublev, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, but he said, no, he said he's... he's but famously, uh, according to the second most recent men's doubles uh, champions, you don't have to serve and volley to win doubles. Uh, and therefore, maybe you don't have to volley that much. Yeah. Um, and we do say that Rublev plays a lot of doubles... He doesn't win a huge number of doubles matches, as far as I recall. No, him and Hatchinov. Him and Hatchinov have reached finals and stuff. They've tapered, they've tapered off a bit in the last year, but before that, they they were winning quite a bit. All right. Well, he's playing doubles this week in Halle. Um, with... I'm not, I'm not... I will find out who with right now. He's playing with Ilya Ivashka, uh, the, um, the exiled Belarusian player. They're playing Dustin Brown and Dominic Stricker in the first round. That should be a fun watch, at least. Um, he's also got Nicholas Basilashvili in the first round of the singles. So Rublev's the guy to watch if you're in Germany this week. I saw him. Um, I don't know why this popped into my head. You saying that, but I saw Herkats was playing with Pavic this week as well, or one week quite recently. That's like, an absolute get. Yeah, I mean he was Megtich and Pavic are playing together at Queens. But okay. I think last last week oh, yeah, yeah. before Herkats yeah they won the sorry the, to follow up on that George yes they won the title uh, Herkats and Pavic won the title in Stuttgart which I mean that is a that's a that's, I'm that's not a great win for Herkats yeah. yeah they even came through the always tricky Sitsipas and Sitsipas pairing uh, in the quarter <laughs> I mean in fairness in fairness to Petros they did go to a Champions tiebreak like they were the only pair to take a set off them all week so Herkats plays a lot of doubles though Herkats plays a lot with uh, Felix doesn't he yeah yeah he's a, good, he's a good doubles player he's got a good game for doubles you know yeah. he, he, he volleys well Herkats yeah, volleys well yeah. I guess I was just more surprised that Mektic wasn't playing with Pavic that week. I think that occasionally happens. Like sometimes, especially at the 250s, one of the players just won't fancy it um, once a week off or something. Or, um, I mean, for example, I noticed that um, Mahu is playing with somebody else at Queens this week, and but her bear is playing at Ilkley Challenger. So I assume her bear, don't his ranking, maybe he's trying to get in Wimbledon qualies. Um, a fine question. Uh, he's not you. Well, maybe the draws out. I don't know. Maybe he's mm. trying to get some single. If maybe maybe he's already in Wimbledon. He's trying to get some singles matches. His ranking will have dipped a bit because he didn't go to Australia, did he? Because he was one of the. Uh, Are we talking singles what? ranking? Yeah, singles, singles, ranking. singles yeah. ranking. Yeah. And yeah. well, Herbert is one seventy in the world, so he's already missed mm. the cut for Wimbledon. Yeah. Um. So he'd be in qualies, but. Yeah, then maybe he's wanted some singles matches ahead of qualies. It's weird. I mean, Pierre Gezebert, every time I read a story about him, I'm like, are you normal? Like, he just yeah. he just always seems to come out with some crackpot theory. I mean, quite apart from the anti-vax stuff, it just seems like an alternative thinker, I think is the technical term for people <laughs> like him. Well, speaking of rankings and actually speaking of Wimbledon qualifiers as well, probably the biggest sleeper in the uh, Wimbledon qualifying uh, draw will be Tim van Richthoven, the new Dutch number three, who has gone up 99 places in the rankings after winning his first ever ATP title. He beat no uh, none other than Daniil Medvedev in the final. In And I apologise to our Dutch listeners for mispronouncing this place, Sehertogenbosch, which, uh, again, I don't even know if that's even close, but it's the best I can do. Um, he beat Medvedev, he beat all top three seeds, he beat Fritz, he beat Felix Auger-Aliassime, beat Hugo Gaston and Matthew Ebden uh, to win his first ever ATP title. I mean, George, where on earth does this bloke come from? I was going to say, I've got a little tip for you as well. People often call it Rosmarlin rather than Esther Bosch to kind of get around. I didn't know they were the same thing. I thought Rosmarlin. the same thing. Ah, there you go. So there you go. That's your little little tip. I did. Right. I was very proud. Esther Bosch is one of the things I learned to write during my... Days writing about tennis. Something uh, you learn to write. You know, it's yeah, just, just like the, you know, just like one of those. George. They're just English. No, letters. no, 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 no. But just like think, you know, like one of those spellings. You mean spell? That you're like, I'd never. Yeah, yeah, spell. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> but you know, like it's like one of those words, isn't it? Like you learn to spell like really odd. I tell George you what, George, George, yeah, like, you are <laughs> massively lo- love tennis podcast dunce no, cap for George tonight. When they did your haircut, <laughs> did they take off a bit of your brain as well? 
had a bit of a heavy weekend, to be honest, James. <laughs> oh, George Balshaw, this is why we don't record on Sunday nights very often. Because George usually is still hungover. So I'm not very sharp. Um, but you know what I mean. Like There are things in sports writing that you would yes. never spell in... such ridiculously hard words like names and stuff. And that is definitely up there with like... Quite a, quite it's a like um, FC right. Mich- FC Michelland, Michelin. United. Peter Gajonschik, you know the, yeah. the, the German bloke. That's a that's a horrible name to spell. Yeah, and you know, so Wojciech Szczesny in football. Oh, a friend of mine who I used to work this. with at the Express once spelt Wojciech Szczesny on stage <laughs> in a pub quiz for a hundred quid first time without even thinking about it. Yeah. Incredible. Um, this is quite two Z's that, around the sea, isn't it? That's, <laughs> that's the trick. <laughs> Famously, two Z's <laughs> around the sea. Um, Calvin, I suppose you, you, you're going to have to be our point of reference for Tim van Richthoven, the one-handed backhand Dutch player who, about whom we pretty much don't know anything else. Have you ever come across him before? Not that I can remember, to be honest. I've seen his name around. He's not mm. a complete anomaly, but I, I don't think I've been at any tournaments where he's been at. George? Um, Sorry, I can't help quite, you too much. It was quite nice because Medvedev said they'd played each other a bit in juniors in yeah. post-match press. And he said, you know, I always knew you had the talent, um, having seen you at that level, obviously taking you a bit longer to kind of get up here. But now you can kind of do this regularly. But it's, it's been an astonishing week. I mean, that's one of the stories of the season, I think, really. Like, it, it is amazing. Of, like, crazy wins. The Black haven't won an ATP match. And he's gone and taken out Fritz, Ogier, Aliasim and Medvedev in the same week. Yeah. To win a title. Uh, there's talk about him getting a Wimbledon wild card, which I think is probably a bit much. And there's, I think there's, he probably will. You reckon? You quite often like just giving random grass court wild cards. Probably do that well. He's I not think a Wimbledon wild card. <laughs> I'll, I'll put I'll I'll put a beer on it with you. Calvin, right, put but... a beer on it then. Yeah, remember that. <laughs> Wimbledon wild cards are out on Wednesday, I believe. So uh, you Ooh, won't just in time. I mean, today yeah, Wimbledon long. weren't giving Raducanu a bloody wild card last year until they were politically peer pressured into it controversial statement george don't know don't know if i can follow that up with anything um after the break we're going to talk a bit about uh nottingham where dan evans picked up a title uh, more doubles chat as well and we'll also look ahead to queens uh the wta in berlin and everyone who's pulled out that and the news that sue barker is stepping down from wimbledon coverage Now, the uh, the second biggest tournament in tennis, I suppose you might call it, but the biggest tournament in the Midlands, uh, possibly in the whole year, was won by the Midlands' very own Dan Evans this week. He picked up the title without dropping a single set uh, in the same month that he turned 32 years old. means he will go up to number 31 in the world, which is a welcome little bump that might just get him into the next bracket of seeds for Wimbledon, so that'll be quite handy when it comes to finding his way through the draw. Um, I was up in Nottingham on Tuesday to see... Emma Raducanu play for all of 35 minutes and I believe we then spoke about that uh, a little bit later on last week but it was a, a good week for Calvin it's always a good week for Calvin at the moment can't stop winning although um, Pat and Cash stopped at the final hurdle Calvin it sounded um, heartrending. yeah they lost 16-14 uh, um, in a Champions tiebreak in the final to a very um, strong fellow British pair, it should be said. Yeah, they lost to uh, Ken Skupski and Johnny O'Mara, who were second seeds, um, to be fair. Um, Are, yeah, is it was... still too soon to talk about it? <laughs> no, I, I, maybe a couple of hours ago would have been. But um, I, I, I sent a message. We've got a text group with um, Henry and Julian and Barry, Julian's coach. And I sent a message earlier saying, I'm still not over it, lads. Um, and and Henry replied, "Going grow up, Calf." <laughs> um, so, uh, I was just going to ask you, I mean, like, when you go on such a winning run like that, to suddenly lose, you, you can feel like it could have like a big knock-on effect. You know, you kind of gone from feeling, "Oh yeah, we're invincible, we're never going to lose again," and then I, I don't think I mean, so. like that the, can turn it. But the Champions like tie, it. the Champions tie break is a weird one because if you you get into it, and then if it's obviously if it's not close, it's fine and. If it's close up to a point, you start thinking, oh, you know, this is tight. But then when it gets to a certain point where you think, right, this is now just a coin toss. doesn't make any difference. Because <laughs> especially on a grass court, grass court doubles, just anything can happen when, when you're going to two points. Especially as <laughs> the bad thing was that it started raining at about seven all, like drizzling, relatively mm. heavy. Mm. And and then you think, oh, the match, the matches, it probably... You know, it didn't wasn't raining enough at the time to call the match off. 
but then you think and you think the match has got to be finished soon anyway yeah then by the time we got to like 14 all it's been raining for about 10 minutes then and then like apparently at the change of ends of 12 all the umpire said to the guys like what do you think lads and they were all like, we can't come off now. <laughs> we can't, can't, can't come off at 12 all. Yeah. But I had this horrible feeling that the match would have got to be decided by, say, match points, someone serving and slipping. Yeah. And the ball just going past them. And I thought that would just be terrible. But um, it wasn't. No, it was. Um, yeah. Look, you know, they they could have won. The, I mean, there's not much to read into it. They could have won and we'd be sat here saying everything was great. So I'm not going to start pulling apart um, reasons why they didn't. But that was 19 matches in a row before that one. We, we still think you're a coaching genius, Calvin, don't worry. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, the disappointment, the only disappointment for them was, I think it was more of a disappointment from the day before when they found out they couldn't play Queens yeah. um, than, than actually losing the final match. Mm. Uh, well, they're both into the top 200 in doubles for the first time, yeah. I think, which is, you know, yeah. feels like a big achievement. And um, there are you're off to Ilkley Moor Bar Tat this week, is that right? Yeah, Ilkley from tomorrow. I think they'll play on Tuesday or Wednesday, so... Mm. They play the third seeds there, so um, yeah, it's tough, tough at the minute. But, oh, this um... is the thing, like you know, I'm not saying I was, I'm not saying I'm someone who follows a lot of doubles ordinarily, and you know, obviously with with the guys you've got at the moment, you know, we do keep a close eye on the doubles draws. They never look easy. They never, you know, they're small draws. They're always reasonably strong. Well, even though even though they're both inside the top two hundred, they they would have needed a wild card. They wouldn't have got in. So they're in every match they play, unless they play the other wildcard team, who is also Luke, who I also coach. Yeah. Um. They they'll be the underdogs on ranking, mm. and they have been in each match for the last two weeks as well. So, um, and that won't change going through maybe Eastbourne and Wimbledon. How, how long has Luke been back for? Luke has been back. Uh, he won. He went. He played a tournament in Tunisia the week before last, and he won that. Um, and then he didn't play last week at Nottingham, but he came down to train at Nottingham. Um, and he's playing with Aidan McHugh this week, uh, which is a last minute change. He was supposed to be playing with Ali Gray, but then Ali got into the knock on effect of the grass court season because Andy Murray made the final in Stuttgart. That left that meant somebody got in as a special exempt, yeah. So then Ali Gray then moved into qualifying in Queens uh, and moved out of Eastbourne, uh, Ilkley. Yeah. If, if your two teams play, which box do you sit in? George, it's challenges, mate. They don't have boxes. <laughs> not centre court. <laughs> okay, which, which side of the court do you stand on? Well, I just, that doesn't you know there's swap ends in tennis, George. George. Yeah, yeah, but you go to each side so you can coach. No, it's North never happened. They're yeah, in opposite, who do you, who do you in opposite side. You they're in opposite sides of the draw, so they're not when they're both in the final, who are you going to be coaching? Well, both. You hope they both win, don't you? So, like, <laughs> you know, whoever wins wins. So, look, <laughs> come on here and say, well, not that there's anything. I don't hope that either of them win. Well, like, <laughs> they're both players I coach. So, like, <coughs> Luke um, Henry, we're we're here to talk. If you need to talk about an abusive coaching if, relationship, if they both because... make the final, I'll be overjoyed about it. <laughs> um, and then. If they both made the final, it'd probably mean they're both playing in Wimbledon as well. So, I look forward to the tension of the uh, Ilkley final this week. Uh, <laughs> it could be quite something as Calvin does his Tony Nadal act and sits in the most conspicuous place possible. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see films of him leaving after the first set when he decides he can't take it anymore. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I wanted to use that as a way into talking about uh, Nottingham, where, as I mentioned, Dan Evans picked up the title. It's obviously someone someone you know well, Calvin. Um, I guess you would expect him to win that tournament, really, wouldn't you? Like, given his grass court experience, given that he is a top thirty player in the world, and given you know it is it is a challenger in the end, it's not going to be the strongest field in the world. Yeah, I'd expect him to win it, but it's always difficult playing the first tournament of the year on grass. Mm. Um, he had some weird scheduling issues as well, like did Dan like yesterday. Strange that they stuck him on fourth on, yeah, um, with rain as well, and that meant that he'd got there early because you you have to get there early in case in case there's a retirement or something or yeah. one match goes quick. So he was actually there. I noticed that he was there at ten o'clock in the morning when I got there, hmm. um, and he was still on court at seven forty, I think, last night. Yeah. 
So by that stage, he'd been there nearly 11 hours at the mm. tennis centre. And and what what's different from, from was what was different there yesterday? Obviously, most of the players have left, so they've got the huge players area at Nottingham for all the players with settees and and, and catering and that kind of thing. And there was basically just no one there. Yeah, um, rattling around a bit. Yeah, so you know, there's you're just hanging around. Then it rained for an hour or so, and it just sort of delayed things. So. Um, yeah, and I guess I... you do end up spending quite a lot of emotional energy in that time if you if you get it wrong. You know, you you can sort of go through peaks and troughs, and you must get good at just staying quite zen. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, and you know, Dan, he's he likes he's quite sociable. He wanders around there chatting to most people yeah. who are around. So, um, but yeah, yeah, I, I expect him to win it. But you know, that that's not always the way it works. You've got, you've still got to play. And, um, I imagine you, you, you saw a fair bit of him this week. You know, he always talks about how much he wants to do well in the Grand Slams. He made the third round of Wimbledon for, I think, the third time in his career last year. I mean, because of the limitations of his game that we know and everything that he can do as well, do, do you think he needs a good draw and a fair wind? Or actually, has given the way the tour is at the moment and with a pretty minimal number of decent grass court players, that he really has a shot at second week and, and who knows beyond? I think so, yeah. Um, but I always, I think he can go deep. The thing with with Evo is that you need, it's not really ranking wise. You need style of style of opponent. Right. I think is important with 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 him. You don't want to see someone like Sebastian Corder again and mm. that kind of thing. Some guy who's got a huge serve who can blow you off, mm. uh, blow you off the court. God, we always have this smirking. <laughs> and usually, George starting the smirking. Yeah. I wasn't even um, going to go there. Um, but... Yeah, so, um, but yeah, style of play. I think that's the um, the most important thing. Uh, just needs just needs to draw someone who can't blow him off. But uh, yeah, but um, yeah, I, I actually didn't see much of him. You say I saw a lot of him this week. I didn't see much of him because he was generally tended to be on around about the same time the lads were going on. Oh, so I was gonna stay and watch. I I hung around a bit after the doubles yesterday. I was gonna stay and watch him yesterday, but it just kept on raining. So I just just went home at that stage. You think of his career finished tomorrow and he'd only got to the third round of Wimbledon, he'd be a bit disappointed. I know he's had like fourth round runs in Australia and the US, but it feels like, he, considering how good he is on grass and does seem to suit him so well, do you think that would leave a bit of a bitter taste if he didn't get into the kind of second weekend, maybe? Uh, yeah, I think he'll always want to go further, though. I think that these guys, they're, they're just so competitive that, you know, say he makes quarterfinals, then he'd go, well, be disappointed he only won make quarterfinals and that mm. kind of thing. So, I mean, he's not got a great draw at Queen's, has he? It's a bit of a stink no, that no one in the Brits has got a good draw, do they? Yeah, yeah, um, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty, pretty challenging draw. I mean, it's a small draw, you know. The best draw of the Brits is probably, and it seems strange to say it, is probably Ryan Peniston playing Casper Rude. So we don't know top seed Casper Rude yeah. on grass. Yeah, oh, I don't really know. Yeah. Rude did say the other week. I think it was a bit tongue in cheek, but grass is for golf. I think he said the other yeah, week. Yeah, he did. I mean, yeah. he was he he definitely was, was very tongue in cheek. <laughs> but I mean, Pedro has been playing some great tennis lately, hasn't he? he has, I mean, he's picked he up has. some really big results. Yeah. Um, and for people who don't know Ryan Peniston, Calvin, I assume there are lots of them. Um, you know, I know he's left-handed. I watched him a bit the other week. But what does your coach's eye tell you about Pedro? I know Pedro pretty well um very well actually he's a good player very competitive makes a lot of balls wrap very very quick around the court takes the ball very early stands on the baseline very good at changing the direction of the ball mm. um can sort of catch the ball in his racket um lefty um yeah good serve good returner he's he's tricky we, we know who's got the worst draw don't we Liam uh, Brody paying fourth favourite for Wimbledon yeah. in Chilich. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a tough That is a really hard draw, to be fair. Yeah. I, I quite fancy Draper against Fritz. I, I kind of fancy him there. Fritz has lost some random matches on grass. Oh, yeah. I remember him losing to Jub. Yeah. I quite fancy Draper there. I, I mean, Dra Dra Draper's also on just such a gradient, you know, at the moment. I, when he's fit, I mean, I, I had a chat with him today, which I think might be the first time I've actually chatted to him face-to-face, -face, which is weird. Um, and he's a super nice guy and, you know, quite straight down the line. And, and I think still getting used to being in a room with 10 journalists and having to talk because he would just stop, which I thought was very interesting. So, some people get trained to stop talking. Like press officers might often say, oh, um, you, you, you talk yourself into trouble. Like decide what you're going to say, say it and then just stop. Um, but actually, as a journalist, that's what you don't want, because sometimes players don't say anything interesting. And, and what's really good and actually 
you take someone like Liam Brody or Andy Murray, both of whom are great value when they talk, is that they talk, you know, you ask them a question and they talk around it and they talk for a minute or two. And then you've got lots you can work with and, and you can write a bit more copy. So I think Jack's not natural with it, but certainly, you know, seems like a good bloke. And I'm quite excited to watch him play. And I think he is actually pretty excited to play in a proper crowd atmosphere because obviously when he was at Queen's last year and he beat Yannick Sinner, I think there were only maybe a thousand people allowed in, if that. Whereas it it was really limited crowds and it wasn't the same when you're in the bubble. Whereas Queen's is a pretty intimate environment, but you can get a lot of people in there. I think it'll be fun for him. I actually, I really liked it last year because you could just walk around so much freer. It's like uh, herding sheep Queen's normally. It's a really, really tight, uh, tight place. Um, I I think, you know, just going back to the Brits and these draws, I, I think I, I think three of them will go through. I think three Murray out of wins seven. again. If Murray plays, I think he beats Sinego. Back, I'm backing Draper against Fritz. I think I think Norrie will beat Dimitrov. I don't think Dimitrov's mm. pulling up any trees this year, so I think I is, think he'll is, win that. Is there any chance? I mean, maybe we've just seen Berrettini win a title, but um, Evans has also just won a title. I mean, Evans against Berrettini, Calvin. Is that? I mean, is that a terrible matchup for him? I'm sort of think that Dan's backhand slice might be able to cause him some problems, given that Berrettini has one such obvious weakness. Um. Yeah, but he's got such big weapons mm. as well. He's got this How many weapons? <laughs> two weapons. <laughs> well, two weapons, and he's not a lunatic. So, um, yeah. Two weapons and one weakness less. Yeah, George Gore. There was a really good stat I saw someone put on Twitter today. Sorry, I can't credit them because I can't remember who it was. But they'd um, tracked how many times Andy Murray on the return had managed to get the ball to the Berrettini backhand, and it was something like two across. Three sets. Oh, I saw this in um, I saw this in Matt Rackett's uh, newsletter. Oh, yeah, it and it was Rackett, two. Yeah. So it was the sir, it was the serve plus one backhand and forehand stats. And yeah, um, Matt's uh, newsletter called the Racket, which I would recommend to anyone. Yeah, it's very good. It's, it's very interesting. Um, yeah, serve plus one on Berrettini's first serve, uh, fifteen out of twenty-five. Serve plus one on Berrettini's uh, first serve backhand, one out of two. So, I mean, I, I guess, Calvin, you might disagree with this, but that would tell you that Murray wasn't getting enough of a piece of the Berrettini first serve to get it to his backhand because everything that was coming back, he could run around and put his forehand on. Yeah, because one thing I'm certain of is that Andy will have been trying, will have known that will have been, he's normally implicit with his with his preparation in terms of the data and that kind of thing. Hmm. He would know exactly what he wanted to do and it would have been get the ball to Berrettini's backhand. So yeah. if if he can't get the ball there, and he's one of the top five returners of all time. Um, it, it's going to be tough for anybody to get it there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought the courts looked pretty quick in Stuttgart this week as well. To be fair, like maybe it was just sometimes the look isn't the same as what they are, but they looked very dry and very worn, which they was looked very to me. bad. They yeah, they looked really... rubbish. Looked yeah. awful. Yeah, we, we sort of glossed over Berrettini a little bit earlier. I mean. It... He can win Wimbledon, can't he, this year? Like, if Novak's yeah. not quite as hot yeah. as we think. He, yeah. I mean, he's a serious, serious contender. I know that's obviously yeah. given he went to the final last year, but that experience should work pretty well. I think the only reason we hadn't talked about him was because he hadn't played. And so we had no yeah. idea yeah, yeah. how fit he was. And I think well, that's why him, I was that's well, why he was behind Chilich in my initial rankings. I'm willing to uh, push honestly, Chilich to five I think you now. might have to be banned from saying the name <laughs> Marin Chilich for the next week. I can't, well, only, I can't um, do with this. Only... Only one player has beaten him in his last three grass court tournaments. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Who's the and top seed at Queens handy. this week? Casper Rude. Rude. Uh, Berrettini's going to win. If if he gets through Murray and Evans, he's going to win. Uh, he's going to Would you game. fancy Murray in a rematch? Like, would he be able to change much? Close. It, yeah. That no, so hard. I'd, I mean, it was a close I'd, match today anyway, to be fair. But I'd be inclined to think that he. To, to be inclined to think I would fancy Marina rematch actually because like I don't think he would have those lower numbers again no. on that. So I think that he would improve those home crowd near his house. I, and <laughs> look, yeah, it's you know it's little things. You know, yeah, yeah. it was a super, and... it was a super tight final. Like it, it yeah. really was. The set the it only really got away from Murray at the end, and actually it didn't even get away from him that far because his 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 vab went. And it's worth saying that, you know, it was night and day from their last meeting on grass where Berrettini absolutely destroyed it. I mean, mm. he really just took the racket right out of his hand. So yeah. I think that shows where Murray is this year compared to 
kind of previous years because that, that was a pretty painful viewing match to be honest I was in a stands I, for that one I do also think Berrettini can get a bit tight like I definitely oh, think in, in yeah. the right situations he definitely gets tight and like you know a roaring Andy Murray you know with neck veins pulsing and a, a Queen's crowd that gets up for it a bit I think that's a pretty good situation for getting tight he definitely looked it in um, in the final against Djokovic when the crowd were really up for it and Djokovic you know he was like just softballing it to his backhand on the uh, on the second serve and Berrettini just couldn't cope with it you tend to you you find that the players who get tight are the players that have glaring weaknesses in mm. their game because they they're aware of it no one's aware of it more than them and yeah. they know that what can happen here so that, and I suppose it's probably happen. it's probably the thing you do the most technical work on and I mean yeah. you will know Calvin that the worst time to be thinking about technical stuff is in the middle of a match absolutely and yeah. I, I'm funny enough and it's not the same and it's not the same level but I was playing cricket for the first time in a while on Saturday and when I was batting I was thinking about something I'd been working on over the winter and I caught myself doing it and I thought you can't think about that this it's not yeah. going to be helpful to be thinking about that now just get in your zone and focus and yeah, yeah. naturally I got 21 and we didn't win um if George can talk about his tennis, then I can talk about my cricket. It's probably a similar <laughs> level. Um, we should talk a bit about the uh, WTA because we haven't really touched on it uh, thus far. Uh, they are in Berlin in the week coming up. It was a really stacked draw. It is now a slightly less stacked draw because um, I think they originally had nine of the top ten players in the world in it. There have been five withdrawals since. So Schwantek, Konservite, Bedosa. Pegula and Daniel Collins have all pulled out. Um, Shontek citing a right shoulder injury, but we don't think it's anything particularly serious. Just maybe played a lot of tennis over the last couple of months, which, in fairness, she has. Uh, so we've got Jabur, Sakari, Sabalenka, Pliskova all in the draw for Berlin. George, I assume you're not worried about Shontek being out of that event. No. Um, she kind of pulled out Madrid, didn't she, before the French Open? She, she seems to me to got quite streetwise um, this year, just in terms of preparing for the tournaments kind of correctly, physically and mentally. So I'm not at all worried for her really. And yeah, I think we've kind of said it before, you know, the way she's playing at the minute, I don't think it really matters what the surface is for um, her to be considered the the outright favourite. And mm. I think, did you send those odds into the group last week, Calvin, where they had like, the number two favorite was Radicano and she was in like 12 yeah. to one, you know, which is <laughs> ludicrous. But I think that just goes to show where the women's game is at the minute. Like Sviomtek is the clear, clear, clear favorite. And on the grass, it just feels like there's not really that many. I, 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 I mean, think Goff, Goff will have another good chance to go deep. Yeah. She played really well here before. Um, obviously, but off the back of the French Open. So yeah, I mean, the current. The current second favourite for Wimbledon women's title is Naomi Osaka, who isn't playing. So um, <laughs> she's definitely she's definitely out of Osaka. I'm fairly sure that she has confirmed that, hasn't she? Has she not already pulled out? I'd have to check her. I thought the... she kind of just said she wasn't sure about it, but was still yeah. on the entry list. I'll have to check the entry list, but I thought she had pulled out. She hasn't withdrawn from the entry list yet. All right, fine. Yeah, but um, and if there's as we mentioned last week, if if half points coming back, then that should encourage her to play. If the points are what's motivating her at the minute, getting up the rankings. If if some butts were candies and nuts, George. Um, le- looking at the WTA uh, Berlin draw, by the way, a couple of absolutely beautiful first rounders. Top seed on Jabur against Karolina Makova. I, I know Makova is more of a clay quarter than a grass court player, but she, she's she's done well at Wimbledon before. I I really really rate Makova as a bleated on about before she, mm. she's she's someone if she's fit who can go really far in with them yeah but she's probably uh, not fit the other one i want to mention is maria sakari the number two seed against leolia jean jean who is the uh, french player who people who listen to the podlets over the french open may have heard about before um she was an absolutely prodigious uh, junior she had a serious knee injury when she was 14 that saw her lose her 10-year nike contract that she already had she had a full-time coach from the fft from the age of 10 uh, she stopped playing tennis for a while she um, talks openly about gaining weight and not really being interested in sport anymore and, and then she went to america she went to three different colleges there she did a, a degree in sociology and criminal justice and then she did a, an mba in finance at lynn university where she really excelled, and then she made the third round of the French Open this year. Um, she was somewhat helped along the way by playing Karolina Pliskova, who it turned out had COVID. 
Um, but nevertheless, she got to the third round. It's it's bumped her miles up the rankings, and it's a bit of a fairy tale story, really, for the French because she was someone who we thought we might never see the best of, and all of a sudden she's fighting her way up the rankings. Yeah, that'd be really interesting. I think the <laughs> speaking of Pliskovich, she's playing Kanepi first round. If that was a slam, you'd guarantee she's losing that. But so I, I mean, I think not, she might have a better chance. I, I mean, are we not backing? I mean, do we not just not back Karolina Pliskova most of the time these days? It's quite <laughs> it's quite hard to get behind her. The, the player I was going to say, I'm not saying this is the best match on paper, but I'm most interested in this week is Andreescu. Um, mm. She's playing Siniakova. Um, I really felt there were signs she was kind of back at it in the clay. And I know she's. we've kind of said she's never won a, a Wimbledon match before, but I'm kind of hoping this might be the year she arrives actually in form, fit, and can have a bit of a run because she's definitely got the game that should be more than good enough to do some serious damage and potentially take out someone like Sviante. You know, she's got every weapon in the book for a grass court event. Um, so I'll be watching eagerly this week to see how she gets on. The other one I'm going to give you to watch is Belinda Bencic against Jules Niemeyer. Um, if only because she's a German wildcard. She was in qualifying at the French Open and she hit the biggest first serve of the entire tournament. Um, to, she's only five foot ten, but she gives it a blooming whack. Uh, so if you like tennis balls getting hit really hard, you might fancy that one. Did, you, did she take a set off Sloane Stevens? Is that who she was playing round one at the French? That's an excellent knowledge if that's right. I'm pretty sure that was her first round. And then yeah, Sloane she absolutely was did, George. Flying. Well done. Very yeah. good from you. And then she yeah she lost five seven six four six two, um, but yeah so maybe just just one to keep an eye on if you like big hitting. Um, the other story that I mentioned at the top of the show, which is worth talking about, is Sue Barker stepping down uh, from Wimbledon coverage. Uh, a fine story um, with Mike Dixon uh, of the Daily Mail talking about her reasons for doing so. She said she nearly stepped down in twenty seventeen, um, but that she decided to keep going, and she's delighted that she did. Um, to an extent, what kind of pushed her to, to step down was the fact that her mother passed away, sadly, earlier this year. Um, she said that she had always spoken to her mum about the tennis a lot and um, ringing her up and, and speaking about that and that she felt it was the right time to go. I mean, I think, f- well, certainly for me and George and to a certain extent, Calvin, she is the sort of face of Wimbledon. And I think as soon as you mention Subak, you always associate with her. Although I watch a lot of Question of Sport as well, in fairness, uh, which I always thought she was brilliant at. Um, uh, George, why don't you start with a bit of um, Sue? I mean, she's just sort of comfortable presence, really, isn't she? Yeah, she is. She's an excellent anchor. I think you know, it's often one of the most um, underrated skills on television to kind of successfully anchor. And you only really, you know, obviously there's some really good ones out there. Um, you know, people like Gary Lineker who've kind of really made a bit of an art form of it and very kind of relaxed but when you see a bad anchor you notice how hard it is to kind of keep it really organic i think she has always done that really well she's very personable you know i've seen her in many a media canteen throughout the grass season kind of just chatting with loads of people she always seems very nice um from afar i've not really had much to do with her personally but she's seemed like she's got quite a glowing uh, personable presence in person as well as on the tv and as you say yeah very kind of warm and it's going to be weird isn't it without her next year and I'm, I, I don't know if they've announced who will be replacing her or what but it it's quite a hard really tough shoes to follow and I think you know she's one of these anchors again you know I've just mentioned Lineker but kind of got that gravitas of being like a grand slam winner but you almost forget because they're so good at anchor, you're not really thinking about them necessarily getting the job just because they're. I mean, people have always forgotten that Sue Barker won the French Open in the 70s. Yeah. I mean, didn't they fail to put her name on the trophy at one point? Or I they think put they her put on the wrong nationality. She's yeah. Australian, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. always bad when you win a Grand Slam and the actual tournament sort of forgets who. It was you are. a bit of a dodgy year as well, wasn't it? Because I think there was a bit of a boycott from a lot <laughs> there is, of very there's best a, players. There are cracking set of stories about that. Yeah, that French Open, which are. Definitely worth rereading. There was a great BBC feature a few years ago. Um, Calvin, you of course vaguely remember her as a player, and then later as a broadcaster. <laughs> I mean, no, I do is... not. not. Come on. Player. No, when did she retire? I think she retired. Well, she won the French Open before I was born. That's very disappointing. <laughs> I haven't done my maths properly. Um, well, uh, I can't imagine you remember someone before her presenting Wimbledon. Then, since you're so young, I don't know who would have presented it before her? Was it Des? 
I couldn't. I, I was thinking it feels like it would be a Des Lynam thing, doesn't it? But yeah. I, I don't remember. I don't think it will have been Des though. I don't know. I don't. I feel like Des wouldn't have lost the gig that early to Barker. No, but then like football started becoming big, and I think Des was kind of because he used to do grandstand. He used to do grandstand and stuff, didn't he? Yeah. yeah so I think it probably was Des, and then then football sort of around 93 94 went to a different level and match of the day became a, a really big thing they don't thing. clash though do they so you'd think he could have kind of carried on both yeah but uh, i think it was like you know, i can confirm summer. i can confirm that des Lynham was previously the lead presenter of wimbledon yeah. there we go um, big des love it him. uh the the real story though or the real talk sorry calvin you were going to say something no, I was going to say that when George said they don't clash, they do. The World Cups and the Euros clash. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, the real story, I suppose, and the the thing that really everyone's been talking about is who who will replace her as the Wimbledon anchor. Uh, I know it's created quite a lot of chat on social media. The, the names being flung around are Tracy Austin, Claire Balding, John McEnroe, Tim Henman's even been mentioned. I've got my own thoughts as to who will get it, which we'll get on to. George, who, if you were picking, who would you go for? Well, I'm not saying I wouldn't go for him, but there's absolutely no way it'll be John McEnroe. I'd and why? Far too much money, and he's got commitments with the ESPN that he also gets paid ludicrous amounts for. So, And he, he like, you know, there was a big um, scandal the other year, wasn't there, around kind of how much they were paying people, and Navratilova was calling it sexist because McEnroe was barely doing any work for Wimbledon, but was still there kind of top paid um mm. broadcaster so uh, there's no way he'd it, blow their entire budget i think if he uh if he became the yeah. anchor you know given it such a full-on role um tracy austin would be quite an interesting one to be fair. I, hadn't re- I hadn't really seen her linked to the post that, that could be just a name a i nice mean this little... say what always happens i got sent a list by um a bookie who shall remain nameless and I, I said, what on earth is this? And he said, I think they just took the Olympic list and basically went with that. <laughs> so Hazel Irving, Gabby Logan, Dan Walker, Jason Mohammed, you know, the kind of usual BBC bods. I'd say it's more likely to be a British person, to be honest, rather than like a Tracy yeah, Austin. I think, yeah, there's, um, a, there's a sort of gravitas. Yeah, Gabby Logan, maybe. But I don't know, you kind of want someone who's got a bit of pedigree within tennis. I don't know. Well, I mean, really I think the thing is, They've got a year to work it out, right? Like, this is going to be Subaka's last Wimbledon she's going to do this year, and they've got time to work it out. The, the person I think it might end up being is Issa Guha, the um, former England cricketer who has worked a lot on TMS and on the cricket coverage. She's a big sports fan. I know she's doing some reporting on Wimbledon this year as well, so I, I wonder if that might be a bit of a sort of screen test for her, see how mm-hmm. she goes down with audiences. You know, she she's obviously be a different-looking face as well. You know, she's, she's got a different heritage it takes away from the kind of white, stale, male and pale um, kind of image of Wimbledon, which I think would be pretty positive. So, um, yeah, I can see I can see them going for someone like that. Calvin, I know you've got strong feelings on Claire Balding. Uh, yeah, I don't want to see Claire Balding doing it. I don't think she's very good. Um, <laughs> no, you, uh, you were much more diplomatic about it earlier. You just said it would make you Sue Barker 15 years uh, ago. Yeah, well, it is that. You know, I just uh, don't, yeah. I, I don't enjoy her presenting, to be honest. I get why people do like her, that kind of thing. But I just think she's a bit posh and, yeah, not really what, what I think we need. Um, I think Marcus Buckland's good, although he doesn't work for BBC. Um, yeah. He knows tennis. He's an excellent anchor, that kind of thing. As I yeah. said in the group, I'd, I'd, I'd go left field on it. I think Jenny Drummond would be the, the best person for it. She's she, I've worked with her. She's top class. She knows her stuff. She definitely knows tennis. Um, she presents rugby on BT, which I don't watch because I don't like rugby. I think it's crap. But, um, uh, just but... finding random people to throw punches at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just saying, we've, we've had one-star rugby. reviews for hating oh, Nadal. Oh, we clearly no, but, no, but J- Jenny interviews well. She, she's, a, she's a really good presenter. And I think that they need to move to a younger generation. I, I really do think that with tennis. Yeah. Um, I'd get someone, whoever it is, I'd get someone younger. Because I don't want to say I'm fed up of tuning into Wimbledon. We'll see it at Queens. This there'll be, I guarantee you, in the coming week there'll be a time there'll be a studio at Queens this week where the youngest person in there is about sixty-five years old. Yeah, and we've got to stop with that with the tennis. They mm. keep rolling Henman out, don't they? He's normally keeping the average. Yeah, but he is getting older. He is old. Uh, is, there are but... there are many things Tim Henman can do, but circumvent the aging process is not one. Of them. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know, I I think. Tim's quite good, I think, in the studio, to be yeah. fair. I, I don't like him as a co-commentator. 
but I think he's good in the studio. Um, mm. That's fine. But look, if Tim Henman's the youngest person in the studio, you've, you've got some issues. <laughs> yeah, Tim Henman, who's 47, for those who are wondering, um, which is only just over the average age of... Uh, I think that's only just over the average age of a voter in the UK. Go on, George. I was say, uh, just on Claire Balding, my, my lasting me- memory of Claire Balding is that um, I once went to go and play a, a kind of championship tiebreak against Alfie Hewitt uh, who's one of the kind of wheelchair tennis players and I arrived just after Claire Balding she'd been absolutely battered by him didn't get a point was stood there having a fag looking breathless straight away <laughs> so that's my enduring memory of Claire Balding I think I think what's important here is I've said I think I've said this on the pod before is that that terrestrial television sport is is transformative in what it can do for the sport and I remember yeah specifically the 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 change that went through cricket on the, uh, around the 2005 ashes where it moved from bbc where it was stale and came on coverage came on 5 minutes before the first ball and channel 4 it, yeah and then it moved to channel 4 and it was oh, see, completely yeah. different on mm. 2005 was the first i think it was first and only season that channel 4 had but Channel Four basically. I think they had a couple. Of, they had a couple of years, but just none of them were as popular yeah. or as widely seen. And as look, Channel. what happened in two thousand and five obviously had an effect on it. And it, and yeah. you can make who couldn't make good television out of that series. But yeah. they transformed, and everything that everything that Sky now do with cricket was created that summer on Channel Four. Hmm. And I think that tennis, we would see that the the public perception of it change if you get a younger group of people presenting it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that's and that's very reasonable. You know, Wimbledon has a certain image, and I don't think as a young person you really um you really would want to get get behind it. I don't think you would be necessarily well, if, if it's, look. I'm I'm not a young person by any stretch. Famously, as, as, as Jane points out twice every podcast that we do. <laughs> but um, but um, if if I was if I was an if I was a fifteen year old person now and I was flicking channels when you get home from school. And there's a bit of sport on, but they're talking in the studio. Do you want to see three 65-year-olds discussing what's happening while it's raining? And I think actually the point is that if you're 15 years old, you don't channel flick now. You're on TikTok or you're on yeah. YouTube. And even, and even then, if you see that it's the same thing, though. Yeah. If you're flicking yeah. through TikTok, you're swiping up. And, you know, I know how TikTok works because I'm young. Um, and you see, you know, three people you've never heard of who are, yeah, as you say, 65 years old. It's not... It's not exactly appealing. So, yeah, there's definitely more work to be done. Um, we await with interest to see who the BBC end up going for. I'm going to open up any other business for a minute, George, if you have anything to submit. Oh, he's doing the face he does when he doesn't have anything. And I, I can assure you, I've seen it only once before. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't think I've got anything else. Uh, did we Did we mention Alexander Over and Harad Meyer's titles? Uh, uh, no, we course. absolutely didn't. It's been quite an ACP-heavy week. Um, it has. To be fair, Brit-heavy, I would say. That would right. be my qualifying statement. We've had a lot of British success this week, which is, isn't typically common, so we need to no. hone in on it when it does happen. Uh, but yes, um, Beatrice Haddad uh, Beatrice Haddad Meyer uh, did the double in uh, Nottingham. She won the women's singles beating Alison Risk. and she also a won good the- win. Risk is a good grass player. Yeah. I mean, a, she beat some win. really decent players along the way. She beat Teresa Martinkova. She knocked out Maria Sakari, who admittedly hasn't been brilliant um, on grass. She beat Lily uh, Miyazaki, who I should have mentioned earlier on, um, picked up her first top 100 win in the first round in Nottingham. Um, she used to represent Japan. She now represents Britain. She's been to college in the US. I think she's 26. She seems like a really nice girl and um, was just interested to meet her for the first time and see her win in the first round. Um, but yeah, Haddad Meyer also won the doubles um, with uh, Zhang Shui, who in fairness is an absolutely elite doubles partner if you can get hold of her. Um, I also know for a fact that she was asking Tanasi Kokonakis to play mixed doubles with her at Wimbledon. And he was like, oh, I think I've just ghosted her, mate. And I was like, Tanasi, that's like practically a guaranteed title if you'd said yes. Um <laughs> Meanwhile, Ekaterina Alexandrova won the title in Rosemarlin, using your tip from earlier, George. Nice. Uh, she beat Arena Sabalenka 7-5, 6-love in the final. Um, Arena Sabalenka had one of those sets that she quite often has where she just turns into a hot mess. And uh, how loved. many double faults? Uh, I don't have that stat exactly to hand, but she only served four in the whole match, so maybe it wasn't oh. that bad. Well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that is mainly my favourite interview moment from either last year or the year before, 
is Arena Savalenka in her post-match being like, and only three double faults and like <laughs> pumping the air. That, it's maybe that's lovely. the news. Maybe this is the new story of the season that's replacing Tim is that Sabalenka's kind of fixed us up. It was so dramatically bad at the start. I'm I mean, we... very, very reticent to uh, start saying that Rina Sabalenka's like, fixed her serve so close to Wimbledon because generally it has become traditional for me to get excited about Rina Sabalenka maybe <laughs> winning a Grand Slam about a week before Wimbledon. And I, I, I don't think it goes well for her. So, Alvin thinks she's never winning one, doesn't he? And that's yes, one of his yes. which in fairness, you know, to bet against me is probably a pretty safe hedge, so I can get behind that. And um, that really is all we've got time for this week. Uh, thank you so much for listening and for all your feedback and emails and Twitter comments. And I'm sorry if I haven't got around to reading them all. Um, there, there are many of you these days, and it's much harder to read all of them. Um, but thank you very much for listening and being in touch. Thank you for leaving us reviews those who can and who have if you've forgotten to do it up till now please make sure you do and most importantly come back next week sports social podcast network